This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Manchester City were magical last night. Real Madrid, 14-time European champions, couldn't get near them. An all-time performance from Pep Guardiola's side as they are once again in the Champions League final. Remarkable scenes at the Etihad as the treble is now City's to lose. Speaking of losing, Brentford will lose star striker Ivan Tony for a massive eight months after a verdict was reached following the England man's betting breaches. As far as punishment goes, is it fair or is it harsh? We'll discuss that shortly. This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and we're a little bit mix and match today. I'm in the comfort of my own home. Joel is on the comfort of his own sofa, but Marley has ventured into the studio. How you doing, boys? Yeah, doing good. Um, nice little lonely journey into the office today. There's approximately three people in the entire office, me being a third of them. So, <laughs> yeah, cheers to the memo of, uh, of not coming in. I was just saying to Joel, um, trying to help you set up the studio is like when you've got your granddad on FaceTime trying to teach him how to use an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's harsh. I was uh, I successfully got the uh, <laughs> yeah. sexy football social daily background behind me, which anyone listening to this can't see unless you follow <laughs> us on Twitter. Your shoulders just to show the hard work that you did getting him in. <laughs> I think that's just good teaching, to be honest. It's just good tutoring. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's, there's there's a saying in there about teaching your granny to suck eggs or something. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I feel like that. Uh, feel like that applies to this situation. I think we're going to move on pretty quickly from that, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and talk about last night's game as Manchester City not only beat Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final destroyed them 4-0 the final score at the Etihad some of the Real Madrid press were saying that that was one of the most intimidating atmospheres that Madrid have played in in recent years Manchester City did everything they could both on and off the pitch to make it difficult and boy did it work Pep Guardiola's side demolishing the 14-time European champions I'll be honest lads I was at a gig last night so I didn't watch any of the game and I had no signal inside the venue and I came out along with thousands of other people and immediately checked my phone and saw it was 4-0 and my jaw hit the ground. I was expecting a tight game between two of the top teams in Europe, but 4-0 is an absolute walkover, Marley. A massive result. Is that a turning point, do you think, for Manchester City on the European stage to not only beat Real Madrid to get to a Champions League final, but to beat them that convincingly? I think so, yeah. If you talk about sort of defining performances, you know, City have been on the on the cusp of something big for years and years they've been one of the favourites for the Champions League for probably five years now um, never quite got there for, for 
different reasons and you know amazing comeback last year against Real Madrid and and that type of you know nearly moment but last night was one of the best performances of any football team I've ever seen probably the best I'm trying not to let like recency bias come into it and say oh that was the best I've ever seen but I can't think of a footballing performance similar to to that in terms of quality and tempo and uh, aggression and tactical awareness um the closest I can come to it is probably Barcelona in their sort of prime tiki-taka 2012-2013 days um but even that was was nothing compared to what City were doing last night because the 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 height of the press that how far up it was Real Madrid were you know they had to be I mentioned when in the first um leg that Real Madrid had to be absolutely perfect to mm. score one goal in 90 minutes um and if you watch that goal back they had to play five or six one touch passes in their own mm. corner quadrant to get out of the press and then Vinicius needs to score from 25 yards at the other end like 5 seconds later yeah however that is not going to be a, a, a key, a route to success over 180 minutes against a team, especially when the other 90 is at the Etihad where, you know, the crowd are bang up for it. Um, the players are up for it. They're on the cusp of the treble, basically, and they all know what's at stake. So that that performance last night was, was frightening, I think. Mm. De Bruyne was, was incredible. Bernardo doesn't doesn't always get the props he deserves for his, his talent and his tactical ability and what he actually gives you. Um, but he popped up with a couple, and if it wasn't for Courtois having yeah. one of the best games I've ever seen, mm. again, it could, it, it could have been seven nil easily. He made two insane saves from Haaland, the the one on one, the header from five yards, and you know others as well. Which you know, if we went into and analysed it all, we'd be here forever. But in terms of level of performance, I think it's the best I've ever seen. It was so methodical. It was like someone described it to me last night as. You know, you watch those David Attenborough documentaries about African safari and the savannah and you see a leopard or a lion stalking its prey, maybe a, an unsuspecting gazelle or something. And you know the gazelle is going to get eaten up. You know it's going to get caught. And there's a bit of a chase on, but eventually the big cat gets its prey. And it was just like that last night. You knew that there was a little bit of a chase on, but Manchester City were eventually going to get the job done. And they did. And in some style as well. I was speaking to some Real Madrid fans in Manchester City Centre last night. And they're convinced that this is a massive moment, not just in Manchester City's European history, but in the Champions League in general for the next 10 or so years. They've won more European Cups than any other club, Joel. But those Madrid fans I spoke to yesterday, they're convinced that Manchester City are not only going to go on and win the Champions League by beating Inter Milan, they're going to go on and dominate for the next five or six years. Yeah, and it depends how... It depends which side of the coin you look at it as as well. I mean, the fact that there's, they're, being, they're making such a huge gap in, in world football at the moment. I mean, this season they've pretty much convincingly beat every single top side that they've faced by about three goals this year. I mean, Arsenal, their closest challengers, they wiped them away. Manchester United at home, they wiped them away. And every single team, even Bayern Munich, it, I don't know if this is just showing just how much depth and strength in every area I'm not talking about just the pitch I'm talking about off the pitch as well because we've known in world football you can have as much money as you like but if you don't have the right people pulling the strings in the different areas especially in recruitment it's never really going to work and when I was watching it last night if anyone's a bit of a Pokemon connoisseur 
It reminded me of the final evolution of Manchester City under Guardiola in terms of, <laughs> you know, when they first came in, they were a bit of a, a Charmander, you know, little flame, didn't really have much going for them. He needed to really rejig everything. And now that he's got a Haaland, this is like his Charizard moment where it's almost <laughs> like the crest of the team's been finally made. And I was trying to find reasons why it's happened this season because Madrid, I don't want to, my, let's take my biased hat off for a second. Madrid, I can clearly see that that midfield now needs revamping after that game. And I'm not just saying it based on the game last night. I'm saying look at La Liga, the 10, 15 points off Barcelona. And that mm. Barcelona side got pretty convincingly beaten by Manchester United, who we've seen are not the greatest side this season. But the way in which Guardiola set up yesterday, I felt like City had about 13 players on the pitch, where... Every single time Modric and Crows, who looked like old men last night because they were chasing the tails everywhere, whenever they lost the ball, which was pretty uncharacteristic, you'd just see John Stones pop up and have an extra man next to Bernardo Silva. And then Rodri would just come in and take the ball and then switch it to the other side. It was almost, it was like a metronome. Everyone knew exactly what task. I think um, Kyle Walker said it really good after the game, which is that everyone knew their role and responsibility. And you could really see that everyone was so disciplined in their area of the pitch. And then when you looked at Real Madrid, I mean, Tony Crows was giving away so many passes. Luka Modric was chasing his tail. You saw Vinicius Junior, Junior telling the team, shall we press or not? And he was going to Ancelotti asking him, do we press? Do we not press? It was, they didn't know how to handle what City were giving them. They didn't know how to get out of the press. They didn't know whether to counter attack. They didn't know whether to sit and, you know, soak up the pressure. But in that first 20 minutes, honestly, I don't. I won't go as far as saying it's the best ever performance, but I would definitely say against the Real Madrid side, probably one of the best performances against the Real Madrid side because that's not a, that's no mean feat, that is it? Because Real Madrid, yeah. I mean, you even saw it 1-0. Tony Crows hit the bar from nowhere, out of nothing. It was a really convincing uh, first half that. Like I said, those Madrid fans I spoke to, they were stunned. They were absolutely stunned. They didn't think that they would get beat like that. They thought they might have been beaten, but not like that. Honestly, it was it was remarkable to see just the reaction of both City and Real Madrid fans last night. And naturally, some people will try and denigrate the achievement of Manchester City reaching two cup finals and likely going on to win the Premier League because of these accusations from the Premier League, 100 plus breaches in terms of rule breaking. We don't know what's going on with that. And maybe we will look back at this season, depending on what the verdict is with that, with a different view in a year or so's time. But right now, this Manchester City side, it is absolutely theirs to lose, Marley, isn't it? When it comes to the treble, they've got Inter Milan in the final. Manchester United, who, with all due respect to United, City are better than them. And they're not going to lose the Premier League from this position. So it is all in their hands to be just a second club to do something which very rarely gets done in European football, let alone in English football. Yeah, it's um, they can more than taste it. You know, it's it's right there for them. They can almost chew it. It's it's <laughs> so close. Um, and we're now in a weird position. I, I put it on our FSD pod Twitter this morning. How have we got to a position where Nathan Jones has stopped Manchester City winning a quadruple? <laughs> Like, he's the only man to to have masterminded anything in that. It was in that situation in I think it was late January, uh, where Southampton turned in a performance, like incredible performance against against Man City, really, mm. um, and then pretty much haven't won a game since. So, you know that was that was where 
well, that that moment was where, as Joel said, you know, Charmander turned into Charizard basically, and then, <laughs> and then they just started burning everyone left, right, and centre because the the formation clicked. Um, and it could even be that 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 defeat was something. Yeah, you know, I always say you learn more in defeat than you do in victory. Like pasting someone four nil, five nil, whatever, you mm. don't learn much from that as a team. But when you get beat, you know where everything needs refining. Yeah, and we've we've spent all season trying to work out what the hell City's formation is because nobody mm. can can still sort of place it on paper. It's this mm. three two four one fluid, formation. No one really has a fixed form. It's, it's just, just more ruthless, though, isn't it? Like Manchester City would pass you to death, and they still do that. But in terms yeah. of the ruthlessness of finishing off the chances, because Raheem Sterling was such a good servant to Manchester City, but probably needed sort of three or four decent chances a game before he would score. Erling Haaland needs three quarters of a chance before he scores a goal and you know Kevin De Bruyne on this form and Grealish coming into his own and you know players like Bernardo Silva who as you touched upon Marley hasn't played as much as he would have wanted this season but yet comes in and performs like that I mean it's just so clinical yeah it's it's mad it's um it's it needed work you know because Guardiola seen it uh, and put it into place and you know, before Christmas, they were trying to get used to it, and you could see that in some of the performances. It wasn't quite as fluid. It wasn't quite as as polished as as a Guardiola side would normally be. But post February, they've you know they've done they've won every game basically. They've hunted down Arsenal. They've battered them at the Etihad. Um, you know, they've battered Real Madrid. They've battered Bayern Munich, mm. and everything's there for them to just pick up now. It's it's almost a case of collecting the trophy rather than going and winning it because. Everyone knows this Inter Milan side is is not it's not the best Inter side we've ever seen. It's not the best team in Italy, but they're in the final, and obviously the draw works out how it works out. But yeah. you know, beating Real Madrid over two legs it is basically the final, and and even even you know the the yeah. most pessimistic City fan could couldn't say that they expect to lose now to Inter in the final. I think that's the thing for me. The final is one off. The semis, quarters, last 16 are all over two legs. Beating Manchester City over two legs, really difficult. There's a chance, I think more of a chance, that you beat Manchester City in a one-off 90-minute period and it goes to extra time than over two legs. That's the story for June the 10th when the Champions League final occurs. Let's get the thoughts now of a Manchester City fan. Here's a good friend of ours here at Football Social Daily, Matt Pidd, with his thoughts on last night's achievements. How can we sum up the emotions of... Not just last night, but this season as a whole, because it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster, really. Look, we started off the season on fire. Haaland was scoring consecutive hat tricks. We was comfortably beating teams, and then before Christmas, we hit a kind of a lull. I remember getting beat by Brentford the game before the World Cup started, and that left a really bad taste in our mouths as fans, and obviously the players in Pep Guardiola as well. And we was eight points behind Arsenal at one point. And they was looking like champions. That's the sign of champions. But look where we are now, just a couple of months later. Won 11 consecutive games, I think it is now. But last night, we took 14-time European champions, Real Madrid, to the cleaners. And it's put to bed that little ghost of last season in the semi-final. And we're now staring down a treble. Not a domestic treble like we won in... 2018, 2019, we're staring down the treble. And if we do win it, I'm going to go out on the limb and say this, Pep Guardiola is the greatest coach to ever grace this game because he will have won it with two separate clubs, something Fergie never did. 
And I know a lot of United fans are probably rolling their eyes right now listening to this, but it's the truth in my opinion. If we do the treble this season, Pep Guardiola is without a doubt the greatest coach to ever do it. For years, we've been talking on this podcast about Manchester City's European prestige and until they win that big prize, they'll never truly be considered among the European elite. Maybe that result last night, 4-0 against Real Madrid, changes that despite what happens in the Champions League final against Inter Milan. Right then, we're going to move on next on Football Social Daily and talk about one of the big breaking Premier League stories from over the last 24 hours. We've known for ages that Ivan Tony has got himself into hot water due to betting breaches. Now a verdict has been reached. He's been banned for eight months. How big a blow is that for his career and how big a blow for Brentford? We'll talk about it next. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Ivan Tony has been banned for eight months for over 230 breaches of the betting rules. We knew that he was in trouble. When it comes to gambling on football as a professional player, you simply cannot do it. A lot of breaches, more than 200, the most we've probably ever seen from a Premier League football player. And he is now going to have to sit on the sidelines, Joel, for eight months. We thought it might be something around six months, but this is even longer than most people anticipated. When it comes to the punishment, is it harsh or is it fair? What's your take? Well, I think the FA have set the precedent for betting a long time ago. I mean, you look at, for example, Trippier's one. um, There's been so many that have gone by where we thought, gosh, that is pretty harsh. I mean, you even saw Nicholas Bentner getting fined €100,000 for having a Paddy Power boxers on during the World Cup. So, I mean... I've never really agreed with the way in which they try and find players, whether it's for racism, whether it's for betting, whether it's for doping. It's all a load of rubbish, in my opinion. They've got the scale completely wrong. So in terms of that regard, I don't really have any comment on it. But in terms (laughs) of the way in which it's come around, I find it a little bit strange, to be honest. I don't know if you... Maybe I'm being a little bit of a conspiracist, but if Ivan Toney didn't have such a great season and wasn't an English international, would they have coincided his ban with just before the summer where basically three months has already been taken out through non-football activity anyway, where he's going to be sunning it up in Ibiza or uh, the Maldives for two months. And then he's going to have obviously the winter and then he's back on January the 16th, I believe. So in reality, I know he's not allowed to train with Brentford. He's not allowed to... He's not allowed, he's not allowed any anything at all. activity, no so football-related sure, activity. So that's going to obviously affect his performance, undoubtedly. He can still train privately. I'm sure you know Brentford's physios or whatever will be with him at his house or whatever he'll do. But he'll be back on January the 16th. And so when you look at it from that perspective, for Brighton, I think that's probably a massive victory for them. Because let's say he, they, they brought in in September. That's one whole season where he'd be out. And who knows, you know, that might actually dictate where Brentford finish next season. But the fact that he comes back in January, I mean, they could be struggling up after the uh, Christmas break next season. And suddenly you've got your best goal scorer coming back in as a, a new weapon to bring into the team. So I think it could be a perfect a perfect timeline, I would say. But it is, it's so unfortunate for him. Um, they've still not brought out the details of what he betted on, when it was which teams I think Brighton uh, Brentford have requested details which may or may not come to light I really don't mm. know but yeah in terms of you know just the, the but this is the thing it's a long-standing straight. issue with Ivan Tony. it's not just during his time at Brentford it predates his time at Brentford and 
I see both sides of the argument and I know what side you're on Marley because you've mentioned it on the podcast before you think eight months is far too long but I also kind of see it the other way where do we need to look into this deeper does Ivan Tony have an issue does he have a gambling problem does that need to be addressed could he have not got help to try and address the issue because there's gambling and then there's gambling on football when you're a professional footballer there are other things you can bet on other sports you can gamble on if you are that way inclined and you like to have a bit of a flutter then do so but don't do it on professional football everyone knows those are the rules and I think it's naive of him to think he could have got away with it so what's your understanding of the situation I've done the opposite of, of back down from that I've this this news has made it even uh, even stronger because you can't look at you can't look at football and not see betting the, the two go hand in hand the only sponsors that are around are betting companies you know mm. in half time of games it's Skybet put this bet on Superboost now Ivan Tony to score the next goal 6-1 to one for 5 minutes only Brentford and I think 10 others are sponsored by the Premier League shirt sponsor is a betting company some of which you've never even heard of no one has heard of Hollywood bets no one has heard of Trip of uh, Fun 88 at Newcastle some Chinese flipping betting company why is that money allowed in the Premier League if we've got this oh no, no, you can't bet, but all the punters can. All all the people watching can. They can put their fibres on and, and line the pockets of Bet365 who took over, took, what, 100-odd million in dividends. It's no different to an Olympic athlete or professional cyclist being sponsored by McDonald's, though, is it? They know that they mm. can't go and eat 10 cheeseburgers a week at a weekend. It's one of the things you understand as a professional athlete that, regardless, say you're an Olympic sprinter like Usain Bolt and you're sponsored by Fizzy Drink Company, fast food company alcohol company you know that you can't be going and engaging in all of those vices if you want to be a professional athlete and i feel like the same situation as much as i understand what you're saying it is a paradox with all of the betting sponsors and all of the it's in your face the whole betting thing in football i totally get what you're saying but also as a professional athlete you need to understand that you can't get involved in that and i think that the two aren't mutually exclusive i think that there can be an argument about the fact that there's too much betting and too much sponsorship of betting in football, but also at the same time, there's an argument to suggest the pro footballer in the Premier League, like Ivan Tony, should know better. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I, you know, this was this was years ago when he's playing for Peterborough. All these these charges, you know, and I know he's still a professional and stuff, but you know, should, should he be banned now for something which happened way back then? That's another that's another debate, I suppose, another angle to this debate. But it just doesn't sit right with me that that a guy at, at the prime of his career, really, on the verge of the England team, can lose eight months, which is, you know, basically a whole season. You factor in pre-season, so it's, it's half a season hmm. of his career for something which happened at a different club on a different time. Um, and I, I, it just doesn't sit right with me the fact that everyone's. You know, everybody wants bet betting companies money, but nobody wants to. You know, as soon as as soon as somebody does it, who you know should know better, it's oh, eight months. Throw the book at them. Like it's. Do you think that's sit, what's happened? Do you think they've thrown right the book at me? Yeah, because it's eight months. I mean, Trippier got ten games, which, in my opinion, is is long enough. I think they could have banned Ivan Tony. Um, as soon as we've all known about this since before the World Cup, this was you know this this goes yeah. back six months. So the timing the, of it, it is, is bizarre. The verdict as well. only came out yesterday. Like it's taken Why, them though? a long time to get. I don't know. Why? A hearing. They had, they had the evidence. 
evidence is there. They've obviously got it because they've charged him with it. So why not? This isn't like a criminal conviction. It's not like you've got to wait for court dates and, mm. you know, people who are up for assault, assault charges in GBH yeah. and stuff like that. You've not got to... You've not got to it's between it's, Tony it's, and it's, the FA. It's a sport thing. So get your finger mm. out your ass and do it. Do this. Do this investigation, whatever it was. Come up with the plan of, right, we're going to ban him for 12 games starting January. Uh, as soon as the as soon as the World Cup restart, uh, Premier League restarts after the World Cup, we're going to do it then. Twelve games, simple. Mm. Like that's almost understandable. But this eight months is bizarre. It's probably robbed him of a move. It could have robbed him a move for to Man United, for example. You know, it, it, I know it's that was never sort of concrete that it was happening. But they could. Do you think could it is well that career changing? Because Rio Ferdinand is an example that we've spoken about in terms of someone who was banned and then came back and still had an exceptional career at Manchester United. There's mm. nothing to suggest Tony at the age that he's at won't be able to come back on January the 16th or whatever the date is and still perform to a top level. The only thing is, is as Joel mentioned, he can't go into the training ground and train with the boys. He's going to have to find other ways to keep himself fit and I'm sure he will. But do you think it will be that detrimental to his career in terms of what he can actually achieve? It doesn't have to be, but it's a case of um, he might have missed the bus. Chelsea and Man United might need strikers. Well, they do need strikers this summer. Spurs might need a striker. You're telling me none of those three clubs would have been looking at Ivan Toney if he hadn't have had this ban lingering over him. That would That's going to push them on to, to mm. other targets. Um, Toney might come back in January. Spurs, Man United and Chelsea might be in the top four. They won't want him because uh, they're, they're fine. And then Tony stays at Brentford and, you know, goes on to have still a decent career and score loads of goals and whatever, but it might not be what it could have been. Um, and I feel this is this is too harsh. Harsher punishment for him when, when we're all talking about morals and, and oh, well, should mm. we have betting, betting in, in football at all when f- football is just awash with with betting sponsors that you've never heard of. Some have been made up you know, last Tuesday and then next week the sponsor in a Premier League club. It's, it just, it's, I don't like it. It's, uh, it's winding me up. I do think we need some sort of regulation when it comes to gambling and football. I totally agree. I think particularly when it comes to young people being sucked into gambling problems, gambling addiction, I do think the marketing around it is not culpable. I think that's the wrong word, but certainly influential when it comes to uh, how people engage with gambling and football but certainly Ivan Tony has learned a very harsh lesson. Eight months he has been banned. Brentford are going to be without their star man. How will that affect the bees going into next season? That's one for us to watch, of course. But there are only two games left of the Premier League campaign. Brentford are safe. They don't really have anything to play for. They might sneak a European spot, but it's unlikely. The European spots at the top end of the Premier League, though, are being fiercely fought over by Manchester United and Newcastle United. And we'll talk about them next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. Final part of today's FSD. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again, including yesterday's show where we spoke to former Manchester United, Newcastle United and Leicester City defender Danny Simpson. Danny won the title with the Foxes in that incredible season in 2016. Here's what he had to say. This was a man that set out a dream, gave everything to that club, the city, the community. He would invest into hospitals 
he was just a special man. And he was like a kind of father figure, really. You know, for that to happen to him, of all people, was difficult and we, we had to stick together. You can listen back to that episode with Danny Simpson from yesterday just by scrolling up in the timeline. And as I mentioned, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss any of the future episodes that we do with former Premier League players. But for now, we're going to look at tonight's Premier League fixtures. Newcastle against Brighton. It's a big game, as they all will be between now and the end of the season. Time running out for Newcastle United, Joel, to get into the top four. Doesn't really get much tougher in terms of final games of the season than a game against Brighton who have been notoriously difficult to get past this season. Yeah, I think it's quite strange now going into these final games because I do think that Newcastle, even though they've had such a consistent season, it just feels like at the moment they're starting to be little signs of just wear and tear where, you know, the last two games, obviously the draw against Leeds, the defeat against Arsenal it's kind of the wrong time to be getting this bad form because Liverpool look pretty relentless at the moment. They're almost galvanising that form that they had last season where they just went on really long stints of runs and consecutive wins. And the fact that Newcastle have to play Brighton, a team which has been known to you know decimate a good amount of really good opponents as well, not just mid-table teams but really good teams and go toe-to-toe with them I think it will be a nervy one but it'll also be a game of pretty high incentive because I think if Newcastle were to win tonight then I think that guarantees them top four to be honest Um, even though they go into the game you know against Leicester who are fighting for Premier League survival and Chelsea who I mean (laughs) three points up for grabs to be honest for anyone in the league when you go there but in terms of tonight I think just to try and cut off that really bad bad run of form and get a win tonight, go four points clear of uh, Liverpool, it'll be just a massive, massive step towards securing it, I think. But easier said than done because, you know, we've seen Brighton do some ridiculous things this season and they're also in the hunt, let's not forget. If Mm. they are to beat Newcastle, I know it's a bit of a long shot and I know that they need need results to go highly their way for them to have any chance of top four. But... I'm sure they'll want to be in the equation with two games to go and be there and wait for any slip-up. You know, if Manchester United slip up against Bournemouth uh, on Saturday or if Liverpool slip up uh, at the weekend, you know, it's there for them. You don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of games. But for Newcastle, I think this tonight is probably one of their biggest games of the season, I would say. You can't really ask for much more than, you know, if you beat these, you're pretty much in in the... uh... In the Champions League, really, um, it's a tough game, obviously. But you know, uh, I think earlier this season it was nil-nil at the Amex. I think it was second game of the season. Um, so you're almost playing two bookends of the season, right at the start and right at the end. <laughs> um, last season, I think it was March, we played at St James's. Newcastle won comfortably under Eddie Howe. Uh, I think Ryan Fraser scored and Callum Wilson as well, um, and it was comfortable that day. But this is, you know, this is this is where Brighton have got to grow up, I think, because I think I always think with Brighton, they they look really good and they play to the level of their opponents. Like if you're sort of a a poor team and you play like like Everton, basically, like we're not bothered about you having the ball because mm. we'll we'll sit deep and hit you on the counter attack. That's that that's where Brighton come and stuck. When you play football against them. You have to be a better football inside than Brighton to uh, to to beat them or to get anything. And Arsenal tried that at the weekend, and they 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 got tired and they got nervous and they got 
bottled it basically uh, to mm. go back to Monday's discussion. Um, <laughs> you know, but they, you know, that they didn't step up and, and get it over the line. I can't think of too many games, with the possible exception of Aston Villa this season away, where Newcastle have have tried to play their game and not been able to do it. I think the, even even in the Carabao final, they had spells where they were good in the game, just couldn't score when when it happened uh, mm. when they were when they had those spells. So it'll be a really really tight game. Really, it'll be a good game. Really good game because two teams want to play and want to counter each other. And tactically, it'll be interesting and stuff. Brighton have got a few out. I think Sanchez has kicked off and is fuming that Jason Steele's number one now, so he seems to be on the way out of of Deserby's Brighton. Um, they've got a couple of other little knocks and niggles, but yeah, it'll be a be a good game, and it's almost like a playoff for the for the European spot. So for the neutral, it'll be decent as well. Yeah, should be a decent game, says Marley. So we can just all expect a nil-nil because that's always how it works. It'll be a good nil-nil, though. That's what it is. It'll be a sexy nil-nil. There'll be a few posts here, a few crossbars shaved. Um, We'll talk about it, no doubt, at some point. But next season in the Premier League, we know Burnley and Sheffield United will be in it. After last night's Championship playoff semi-final, we know that now one of Luton Town or Coventry City will be a Premier League side. Both clubs were in League 2 as recently as six years ago. And now they are just one 90-minute match at Wembley away from reaching the top flight of English football. For Coventry, they've spent a long time away. For Luton Town, even longer. They've gone to the depths of non-league. Remarkable that Middlesbrough and Sunderland, two huge clubs who have established themselves in the Premier League in years gone by, are out... And it's Luton or Coventry City, Joel, who are going to make it to the Premier League. Now, regardless of whether you want Luton and Kenilworth Road to be a Premier League stadium or whether you want Coventry City to return to the big time after years and years away, it's quite staggering that these two clubs are the two clubs that are fighting it out in the playoff final, isn't it? Honestly, I think I've seen Kenilworth Road more than Old Trafford on social media. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's like the Will Still uh, you know, from football manager who managed Dale Rams and blah blah blah. Have uh, you seen this Luton Town away end? Oh god, yes. No, I, haven't, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. the house in a state that I've seen more than my own house. Well, I've been there <laughs> twice or three times. Been to Kenilworth Road, and it's annoying that people give it stick because as an away day, you wouldn't want to do it too often. But the first time you go, it's fun. It's different. It is a bit of a dive. Everyone knows it, and people say, "Well, it's not a Premier League ground." Well, it will be. If they get promoted, it will be a Premier League ground. Get over it. That's the beauty of English football. You've got so many different types of football clubs and stadiums. Not everyone wants an identikit stadium like King Power Stadium and St. Mary's are the same stadium with different colour seats. Pride Park, again, is the same. Cardiff City's ground is the same. Swansea Stadium is the same. Doncaster Stadium is the same. They're all the same. It's boring. All of the stadiums look the exact same nowadays. So that's the fun. Kenilworth Road. Get it in the Premier League. So what? It'll be a laugh. To be fair, I think everyone likes it though. I like it. I like the Good. fact that it's got housing estates behind it and that you know conservatories could, down one side. The ball could go in <laughs> one of um, you know one of Erling Haaland's penalties might end up going in someone's conservatory in the back. Like, I like that kind of vibe. But you know what? In all serious though, in all seriousness, I love the fact that it's two teams who have not been anywhere near the Premier League, rather than you know the same. Middlesbrough, Sunderland, then it Norwich. could be Blackburn, and then it could be yeah, Norwich, you know, Watford. Yeah, 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 just the I, I, all right. Respect to them, you know, but these payments linger 
the Premier League payments linger, and that's the reason they can continuously challenge. Mm. The fact that you've got Luton and Coventry, who, like you say, have been in League Two just only six years ago, I think it's just that's, that's the best part of football for me. The fact that these fans will see the top tier and, you know, see the top players. You know, you see Pep Guardiola and his side go to a flipping housing estate in the middle <laughs> of Luton going through a house just to get to the pitch. I think that is absolutely amazing. And, and it'll be a massive advantage well. to a club like Luton if they do get in the Premier League. And it's quite annoying for me to talk about this because my team was competing against Luton and Coventry as recently as two and a bit years ago. And now one of them is going to be in the Premier League. And you're just saying, oh my God, Pompey, what are you doing? Just stagnating in League One. But that being said, whoever it is, whether it's Coventry or Luton that come up, and I don't mind personally who it is, it's got a touch of the Bournemouths about it, Marley. And what I mean by that is they've been quite vocal, Bournemouth, about how everyone this season predicted them to go down, me included. I had them in my bottom three in my predictions at the start of the season. And at one stage, it absolutely certs to go down to the championship. Gary O'Neill's done an amazing job to keep them up. Whoever it is, out of Luton or Coventry, are going to be huge underdogs and probably tipped by everyone, 99% of people, to get relegated straight back down again. Yeah, of course. Um, I think the difference between Coventry and Luton and Bournemouth um, when they came up the first time was was Bournemouth had um, Russian backing. They had they had money. Like, a lot of mm. people don't um, don't realise it because they haven't been yeah amazingly successful. I agree because that annoyed me. That narrative of plucky little old Bournemouth. What you yeah, mean, pluck, no. plucky Bournemouth that are backed by Maxim Demin, a Russian billionaire? That doesn't seem very plucky to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and people need to, to keep that energy when they're having to go at Man City and stuff and, and, and Newcastle for, for their success. It's everywhere. It's Bournemouth got to the Premier League because of backing and also fantastic work by Eddie Howe and, and the infrastructure of the club and, and the coaching, everything was right. But it was there was money there as well. Um, so, yeah, I think um, with, with Coventry and Luton, there doesn't seem to have been as much. Um, Coventry haven't had a, a home stadium, like a permanent home stadium for years. They've been bouncing around grounds, playing at uh, they were playing in Birmingham, I think, at St Andrews a couple of couple of seasons ago. They've had a a fight with um, the council over the Rico Arena, which just seems counterproductive because no one wins in that situation because you've got a, a derelict stadium basically not being used every week. Um, there's all kinds of things that have gone on, but. You know, I was looking at Coventry's team before the last time they were in the Premier League. You know, there's Magnus Hedman was the goalkeeper, uh, proper good Swedish goalkeeper to be fair. Uh, John Hartson number was wearing number five despite being a striker. Uh, Mustafa Hadji, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mustafa Hadji, Yusef Chipo, Chris, <laughs> a, a very young uh, Chris Kirkland was coming through there. Uh, Craig Bellamy was there, which I completely mm. forgot. Barry Ferguson, like a teenage Barry Ferguson. Uh, Lee Carsley, Jay Bothroyd. Now and go they, through Luton's team from the last time they were in the top flight. <laughs> well, dear me. I couldn't even... Well, there's no point. I wouldn't recognise any of the players and neither would anyone listening, which is kind of the, the point of Luton. But I said to you, I, didn't, I don't know whether it was on the podcast or, or in, the, in the office, when I said to you the other day, 2014... Luton's final day of the season was in the Conference National um, yeah. against Hyde United. I filmed that game at Hyde United because I live five mm. minutes from Hyde. I filmed the game. They won 1-0. They brought a ton of fans, Luton, up all wearing their uh, 
the hats, uh, the straw hats, I don't know what you call them, but obviously they've nicknamed the hatters, aren't they? So they all wore fancy sun hats and all the rest of it and dressed in orange. And it was a great day in the baking hot sunshine. Andre Gray scored the only goal, then went on to Watford and Burnley and uh, bagged one a little mix as well. So he's done all right for himself. <laughs> um, but also in that team, they had a guy who you've got to, if you know English football in, in sort of depth, a guy called, was it Phil McNulty or Steve McNulty? Steve McNulty. Steve McNulty, the centre-back, who was built like a barrel, but had technique, (laughs) technique as good as anyone, man. He's on on the ball, like he filled every inch of his shirt like a Sunday league player. So he's Copper Mundials as well. He just had to have those on as well, those Adidas World Cups. That's the biggest part No, Marley raises, the fact that they've come from the conference, they've come from the trenches. So if any team in there now is like dreaming or thinking the Premier League's so far away, we're just like kind of trudging along in the conference. Actually, if you start getting one promotion after another and then it starts to snowball, you could be in that position where you're suddenly in the depths of the Premier League and your whole life and your club changes. So I think gives it. I think that's, that's why I like the fact that these clubs have a chance at it because Middlesbrough, they've had about 20 different cracks at getting in the Premier League. Luton don't get this kind of occasion every single day every single year and the fact that they come from the mud I mean you have to respect it something's obviously gone right um, in the hierarchy and the way they run the club and you know I think the away fans will be doing knock a door running all the houses while they go into the away stand it's just unbelievable a, a total free hit if Luton get to the Premier League we, talk, we sometimes talk about like Man City away being a free hit for pretty much everyone the entire Premier League season is going to be a free hit for whoever gets up because Coventry and Luton, as as much as they might have thought, if everything goes right, we might have a crack at the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. For one of them to actually get there in the space of ninety minutes on the twenty seventh of May is is mad. Um, yeah. So they'll go into it like, sod it, whatever happens, happens. If we go down, we get parachute payments, and we come back stronger the season after next. Fair play to both Luton and Coventry. Good luck to whoever does win the playoff final that is it for today's football social daily thank you to marley and to joel and thank you to you for listening in as well if you have enjoyed any of our podcasts throughout the course of the season try and leave a review if you can we'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love to hear how you think we can improve the podcast if there's any features that you want us to uh, introduce next season then let us know we're always open to feedback when i say improve the podcast though i don't mean get rid of any of us because that would uh, <laughs> that would cause a bit of an issue but you know what I'm getting at uh, that's it for today's episode we'll catch you again tomorrow on FSD see you later Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network